Hi there, Ian Mallon here. On Friday the 19th of May, I will be down at the cemetery of my son Craig Mallon, who was murdered in 2012 in Lorette de Mar at a stag do weekend. We were assured by Spanish police that they would follow all leads of inquiry and they had positive leads of inquiry. And 11 years later, I am no further forward in receiving any justice or finding out who was the perpetrator in my son's death. Welcome to the revamped Swindle Search for the Truth podcast. I'm Dr Gillian Jack and with me in the studio today is Debbie Smurthway of Victims Abroad who lives in Spain and of course David Swindle. Well, great to have you on board Gillian and um, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, it's a sad case we're going to be speaking about today, uh, a sad case it should have been resolved at the time. Yeah, we're going to be speaking about Craig Mullen's case this morning, um, which is very close to my heart in Lurk de Mar, which is where I'm normally based. Craig's case has um, featured in several of our previous episodes. It's the tragic unresolved homicide of a UK citizen in Scott who was killed 11 years ago by a single punch within hours of arriving at the Spanish holiday resort of Lorette de Mar. I believe you, David and Debbie, and other members of Victims Abroad have been working with Craig's family for years, trying to push for lines of inquiry to be done by the Spanish authorities. And there have been all sorts of problems with the Spanish lawyers, confusion um, by the Spanish courts about people who feature as potential suspects. Though I understand there's been um, some good stuff recently regarding a Spanish investigative journalist and a new lawyer, which may bring some hopes of progress. Absolutely. Um, what's happened with this? This is a case that could have been resolved and solved at the very start. It was uh, a sad incident where a, a young man with a promising life ahead of him a, was assaulted, fatally assaulted, in a busy street in Spain where there were lots of people around who would see what happened. Yes, lots of people had alcohol, but there were people there that could have pieced it together. Sadly, there was no CCTV at that spot. And even to this day, 11 years later, there's no CCTV at that spot where Craig was killed. Um, so the, the the lines of inquiry were difficult because of the transient population in Lorette de Mar, various holidaymakers coming and going. Um, and there was CCTV in some of the nightclubs and they were able to piece it together. But this is a case that if this happened in the UK, I would like to think that this would have been resolved very quickly. Sadly, 11 years on. And Debbie uh, Debbie has done a lot of work uh, locally with it. There's also been a TV programme called Killed Abroad about Craig's case. Since that TV programme, the BBC TV programme, things have changed quite a bit. There's been progress. There's been people identified as... Uh, potential suspects. Um, so, Debbie, you, you've been heavily involved from a local point of view, and you, you, you've made some real inroads uh, as regards, you know, the, the local 
Spanish publicity because the answers <laughs> lie in Spain and in France for reasons that you're going to explain soon. And hopefully things are going to change soon as a result of some new things that you've been involved in. Yeah, well, I think this is the importance of, um, of, of being in contact with local people on the ground. It um, it makes a big difference. When, when I first started um, looking at Craig's case with David, um, I remember David. We were looking. Uh, you were looking for um, a particular witness, and I remember saying, "I'm sure I could find that witness because I live locally, and and you're more aware of the the conditions locally." And um, I said, "But it'd probably take me a couple of years." And then we ended up locating her fairly quickly. Now that witness wasn't useful in terms of having uh, what she saw, but she was useful in helping us narrow down timescales. Um, so. Really, anyone who was in the area at the time would be interesting uh, to speak to. Uh, so, you know, that's the that, that's how important it is um, being on the ground. It's an interesting point, Debbie, that um, what we're looking for is, is really to speak to anyone who was there and not just people who think that they've necessarily seen something vital to what happened to Craig. There's lots of bits of information that might be useful to us. Well, that's yeah, something David, that David I, always says. Yeah, that's so. You were about to quote my phrase. I uh, was. <laughs> uh, please don't assume we know what you know, and that is the thing. And this happens all the time in murder investigations in the UK as well. Uh, members of the public, they they see something, think it might not be relevant, and they try and assess it themselves, and it's. You know, they should never try and work out if that's not relevant because every small piece of information helps piece together what sounds terrible, but the bigger picture, the circumstances, because the, there will be people who saw this. In fact, there is a woman that we're still trying to trace, Debbie. This exactly. is the English-speaking woman. What's the details? Yes, this, this was an English-speaking woman who called the emergency services. We know that she was in a hotel around the square um, where Craig was killed. Um, she said that she could see a fight. Um, the fight ensued after Craig was punched, basically. There was no fight before Craig being punched, but she could see that fight. She could see that there was someone on the floor. She called the emergency services and she spoke in English. Now, we might think that she was British, but of course she could also be from somewhere. Lorette has a, a massive influx of uh, tourists from about April onwards from all countries so somebody perhaps from Sweden or Norway might also speak English to the emergency services um, but it would be very interesting to speak to that person because she definitely saw something um, but so far all the all the attempts to locate that person have, um, have been unsuccessful. And that was the early hours of the morning and the time of that call was exactly when it would be happening um, and, and it's significant that she's never been traced. And again, it could be that she's just assuming that we know the information that she has. Um, the information is vital and it helps piece it together. Um, 11 years on, she's never been traced. She might have left the town. She might not even be aware of the significance of her call. Um, and she's probably way back home or something like that. Yeah. 
there's, a, there's even the possibility um, if it was someone who was leaving that day, and we know there were coaches of people leaving that they were there with their luggage at that time of the morning because they were going, they'd got early flights and so on. If it was someone who was leaving that day, they might not even have realised that someone had been killed. Um, they they may have just called because they saw the fight, but not realised that the person who was on the floor um, had suffered such um, you know fatal injury. So just, it yes. really is interesting to speak to anyone who was in Lorette in you know on those days um to you know to find out what they may have seen heard um yeah. at the time it's interesting you know that the reference to a fight that was after craig craig was uh, yeah. fatally assaulted craig's lying on the ground his friends were angry they were angry at what had happened to them and there was also um a, a phrase that was shouted by uh the the one of the potential assailants, was it Phil de Pou, Phil de Pou, which means son of a bitch in French, Debbie, yeah? In French, that's right, yeah. So there's a definite, um, there was a definite presence of French-speaking people that night. Um, several mentioned a group of French people at the scene um, and also inside the Rockefeller's Disco, which was where they, they had spent the night um, uh, up until then. So... Um, we know there were there were quite a big group of French people there, um, and s most of the witness statements uh, reference um, French-speaking people. So we've um, we've investigated oh, quite a number of French people who we were able to locate at the scene. You have to imagine this was a square where there might have been up to you know between 100 and 200 people who'd just come out of the bars and discos and were standing around chatting and so on. So basically what we have we've done is we've taken groups that we we knew were there or we discovered were there from police um, CCTV footage and we've uh, looked a little bit further basically. Um, so uh, what we found is that some people who we could pinpoint at the scene were actually part of a larger group a larger group of people so there definitely was a big french group there but this is what we're concerned that the that the police investigation hasn't really looked at yes just just confirming the date it was the 19th of may 2012 the 19th of may 2012 and from what you're saying debbie there was a, a group of french people and we know that there was french people on cctv um, mm -hmm. There was French people that were seen, again, no one's seen in CCTV actually committing the fatal assault. It's people that were in the close area. And there was a group of French people in that. And Ian Malin, Craig's dad, who I actually caught up with recently and he gave us some quotes, you know, about what it means to him. Uh, and Ian, you know, he's a, a broken man. His wife died. And, Oh, she never, she, it, it took her down, losing her only son. You know, she, she's had to try and live with that, cope with the answers, and, and Anthony died. Um, strong, strong appeals out there about it. We heard Craig's daddy in at the beginning of the podcast. Here he is again. But the system is, it's broken. And it's so unfair. Craig's mother, certain times throughout the investigation, she wanted to pull the plug because it was dragging both of us down. 
and she said, and it's true what she said, we're getting absolutely nowhere. It's one step forward and two steps back. Craig's mother passed on the 6th of April 2018, six years after Craig. And I remember her saying she wondered if she would find out who killed Craig or would justice be served before she passed. Sadly, she passed and she found out none of the two. Really, really sad. Myself and David Swindle continue to push forward, but there's only so much you do. And I remember myself the words that Craig's mother spoke, Antoinette, one step forward, two steps back. The French people that were on that CCTV in the police office, and, and you can explain what the significance of that is, Debbie, in a minute, but, but Ian wrote a letter to one of these people in Paris, and um, they never they never come back. But they came back to say that they were in Barcelona uh, when it happened, but we know fine well that they were back there because of the wrong times. This happened in the early hours, about just early six o'clock, seven o'clock of the time scales for when we're interested in people there. So the, you've done a lot of work, Debbie, researching, um, looking around things, and, and you've now made a good journalistic contact. You've made a few. Lorette Gatheta is good, and you've got this uh, well-known Catalan journalist, Tura. Tura's right. interesting because she's changed the scene recently, yeah? Yeah, she has a little bit. Um, Tura Soleil, is, um, she's a very well-known journalist on a Catalan level. She's been working in um, a local newspaper called El Punt Avui. Uh, it used to be El Punt and now it's El Punt Avui because it was two newspapers combined. They merged. Um, and Tura is, she's really a household name in Catalonia in terms of crime journalism. Um, because she's she's very trusted, um, she's very sensible. She has a incredible an incredible memory of every um, case that's ever taken place on Catalan soil. I think, um, and she's taken an an interest in in Craig's case because she's very interested in cases that haven't seen justice, basically that haven't received justice. Um, she's recently published a book about um, with, with another writer, Jordi Graham. They've published a book about um, it's basically on ten uh, crimes without punishment that have taken place. So um, her interest in these type of crimes is important, and she has um, a small uh, patch on a, on a TV program on Fridays every every Friday morning. So that's why people know her so well on Catalan TV, and this just. Just this last week on Friday, um, she spoke about Craig's case. So we're just putting that out on social media in the next few days. And Gillian's going to put that on the notes. Gillian, I think you said you were going to put it on the notes for the podcast, yeah? Yeah, we'll mm -hmm. make sure that's available so people can find it and have a look at that. 
Yeah, it's in Spanish, but what we're going to do is arrange to get it also in English for, you know, the English listeners as well, um, because uh, what she's saying is very, very powerful. Um, she's mm. obviously made her own investigations and she's speaking about, you know, a potential robbery, uh, French men that were uh, on the CCTV, you know, at the police office, um, French people that didn't have money earlier on when they were stopped by the local police and then having a significant amount of money on them, possession, uh, and they're seen in the area. So is there a potential there? But there's also the confusion, and this is a sad thing here, um, that there's so much confusion surrounding it and um, about the French people and whether it's the correct French people that the Spanish authorities were focusing on. There was a thing called called a commission rogatoire, which is a international process that is initiated for countries to request people in other countries to be interviewed. And the Spanish authorities had initiated that, a commission rogatoire. But Debbie, I think it was for the wrong people. Do you think so? We think so, yes. We, um, we we studied as many French people as we could that were in the area. And we found that the, the group that we were interested in who had been in the police station because of the to, to pay the, the fine for their car um, were part of a much larger group. The Spanish police focused on two other... That, that larger group was were, were basically all um, connected to Paris. They all live in the Paris suburbs, as it were, a particular... Uh, suburb of Paris, um, but there were two other French-speaking men who were in um, a hotel. Now, they weren't from Paris. They were from Saint-Étienne, and they are the people who the police focused on, and the reason they focused on them was because they left their hotel room early. I think it was about 12 hours early, was it, David? I think yes. they left on the night after Craig was killed when they should have left the following day. Yes. That was basically the police's reasoning, it seems, for for wanting to question them. Um, we we actually ruled them out because they didn't fit any of the descriptions of any of the people at the scene. The problem um, is, there's a lot of confusion about descriptions. That is the thing. Yeah, well. <laughs> and, but there is. But the, the the thing is, French people have featured in this inquiry from day one. When I went out there uh, the year after Craig was killed with Craig's. Dad Ian and his mum Antoinette, we met the Moses the Squadra and we met one of the senior officers and we asked the question about French people because this information had been given to Ian. And the senior officer very quickly said, French people, there's nothing to do with French people, there's nothing on it. French people featured and and I don't think they allowed the Moses to go and make inquiries quick fast-track inquiries and they get caught up in bureaucracy. There is not a single statement from a French person in that case file. And that is the sad thing. If French people are suspects, I would have thought they should have been interviewing them. Um, it's sad. It's really sad. And it has kind of, okay, the, during this there's been COVID and things have been closed and offices have been slow. But the way this is going, or the way this has been going, We've lost really four years because we had the COVID inquiry, the COVID uh, lockdowns, uh, offices closed. And then we personally had issues that we were dealing with as regards to the lawyer 
their previous lawyer that was there. And that lawyer uh, is no longer involved in the case. She actually, Debbie and I had an arrangement to meet her last year. Um, and then in 2022 in May, we went out 10 years after it and she didn't meet us. The, the, the real, the, the, the British consulate, they are limited to what they can do. Um, but the woman in Barcelona, Caroline de Jong, has been fantastic with this case and she above and beyond. And if people go onto the website, craigmarlin.com, you will see that when we got a bench installed, there's a woman there with a black suit and flowers in her hand. That's the British consulate. She came to that all those years ago and all testament to her. It's fantastic help. Um, so I'm just hoping, uh, Debbie, that you know your contacts there uh, with Tura and Tura's influences uh, mm-hmm. and people listening to the podcast, spreading this information, get it out there. There was loads of British people on holiday. What, what's the triggers in that town at the time? There was something about um, who was a pop star that was there. Uh, she was in... Oh. Yeah, I think they filmed, was it Shakira that they filmed that, that day? Shakira, yeah. was, Shakira was in Lorette de Marley. Shakira uh-huh. was in Lorette, yeah, that day. And also there was football on. Now, I'm not very good on football. but I think it was um... Bayern Munich. It was a Bayern Munich game or something. It was a Champions League game. Anything yeah. else then that can, people can relate to? Yeah, no. I'm trying to think. We did we did do a, a list of a few things that, co- that coincided with it, but... Um, I think it was a bank, was it bank holiday weekend in the UK at the time? It was as well, it was as well. But Shakira was in town, there was a lot of buzz about Shakira being in town. She was at one of the nightclubs around the corner from it. And and the last place Craig was in was Rockefeller's nightclub. And lots of British people go in there. And we did trace a group of girls from Bristol that had been Mm -hmm. there that met Craig and his friends. We traced yeah. other people. Uh, we've, traced the, we've traced other groups that um, that were doing either, you know, Hindus or stag do's that weekend in Lorette as well. Um, although they don't seem to have been in exactly the same places at the same time. Um, so, uh, you know, really, all it all goes back to to trying to find um, find that either the English speaking witness, um, anyone who saw the French people. Uh, you, you know, that's what we. And we really need to try and find a way with the new lawyers now of um, encouraging the police to, to explore those avenues. Yes, um, and also what we're talking about, English people, any nationalities to come forward. Um, yeah. And, and the, there's French people there. So if you're a French person, you're in that area and you weren't involved, you know, it may even be that the police will trace other French people, I hope. Um, but... If there's French people in the area that were there and haven't contacted us, send us an email. It's info at craigmarlin.com or direct message the Swindle Search for the Truth podcast. Craig's case is ongoing. If you were in Lorette de Mar that night, the 18th to the 19th of May 2012, and saw anything, even if it doesn't seem important, please get in touch. Contact details are in the podcast info and at craigmallon.com. If you weren't in Lorette de Mar, you can still help us by sharing this episode. 
your share might help us reach someone with vital information. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with two powerful episodes recorded at CrimeCon in London this weekend. Thank you.